inside the lines of my rhyme book. Like the God, I escape when the rhyme's done. Coming from where I'm from, life is short on inspiration. I'm searching to find some. The homie told me right my way. All right, welcome to Guest in the House podcast. Um, I am Mickey Hess, one half of your hosts, and I'm here with my man Dave Shanks. Yo. And happy birthday to Ghostface Killer. Today is Ghostface's 50th birthday. Uh, we've talked about him a lot, especially his album Supreme Clientele on the other episodes of this podcast. So happy birthday, Ghostface. Happy birthday, Tony Starks. Oh, man, the vivid laser eye guy. The vivid laser eye. Scissor hands, wig vanished in the winter. Oh, man, living off land. You damn right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Graveyard uh, spells fog your goggles. Laying like needles in the hospital. Look at that. <laughs> so we're going to keep rolling. appreciation day. Oh, Beautiful. absolutely. Yeah, some of the backstory behind that album is always just fascinating to me. Um, fascinating. Do you know this whole thing um, when um, Superb came out and said that like he is like the mastermind behind the album? I have heard about this. Yeah. That was that was that was an amazing time. Man. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty interesting. What's now, your take on that? Well, Perb was around. Mm-hmm. Things sounded a certain way. Yeah. Perb was no longer around. Things didn't quite sound that way anymore. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I can't say he's completely out of his mind for saying that because I can I know that there had to have been an influence because he he's a character. Yeah. He's a character. And so um I don't know. I'm not I don't think he wrote anything. I can't see that. But you know, I've been in the studio, excuse me, with um just family and counterparts and that energy rubs off you. Much the way they say Capadonna coming home. Mm-hmm influence Cuban links and Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the slang, a lot of the just the, you know, uh, whatever you lack of a better word, swag came from Capadonna being around. Doesn't mean he wrote anything. So I, I could see Perb maybe having that influence on the album. He probably exaggerated it way past where it was, and you know, the ghost face in that camp probably downplayed it a lot more sure. than maybe it was. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Well, there, there's so many themes running through Ghostface's lyrics from album to album to album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are still there on Supreme Clientele for sure. Oh, 100%. And there's always a lot of infighting over credits. I mean, the Wu Tang universe in particular, I mean, Rizzo played uh, ODB's Brooklyn Zoo. He during did. the battle of the premiere, and that wasn't really his beat, yeah. from what I understand. True master, true master, and ODB. They yeah. have co-credits on it, I believe. Yeah, yeah and um, you know, other folks I've worked with in other capacities have, have claimed uh, a little bit of a stake to certain beats or yeah. uh, production yeah. credits that they felt they deserve more of that went to other folks in the I've, routine universe. I've heard some of that. I've heard, some, heard of that. some of that. But what we do know. Yes, yeah. there's only one ghost face. 
only one guy. <laughs> so, so happy 50th birthday to Tony Stark's Ghostface guy. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Especially coming off of that last episode. Um, yeah. it's, good, it's good to have some, some good news. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a segue. We said we were going to talk about the new Beastie Boys documentary. Yes. Um, when I attended the Beastie Boys book release that became the basis for this documentary at King's Theater in Brooklyn, I didn't realize until I was in that space looking through some of the archives, they put together a little Beastie Boys museum on the spot. Nice. Out in the lobby as we're waiting for the show to start. And that was in, um, at the King's Theater in Brooklyn, correct? King's Theater in Brooklyn, that's cool. right. Cool. Um, yeah, like two, a year and a half ago, I guess it was, somewhere right in there. But I didn't realize that Adam Horvitz Ad Rock made the beat for LL Cool J's I Need a Beat. I didn't realize that. I don't think either. Yeah, I mean, I, I assumed, talking about credits again, that that was just mm-hmm. all Rick Rubin. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the more I've read and the more I've listened to the Beastie Boys, a lot of the music on License to Ill um, came from MCA, Adam Yop, came from yes. Ad Rock, yes. Adam Horvitz. Yes. yes, I learned that. And it all kind of falls under that Rick Rubin umbrella the same way a lot of Wu-Tang stuff falls under that RZA umbrella on production. Right, right. Yeah, so I know um, we talked about the Beastie Boys off and on on the podcast. I'm a yes. long-time fan. Yes. Um, I understand that my co-host has watched this new Beastie Boys documentary. I have. I have, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Great. Yeah, what did you like about it? Well, I guess let me start here. Yeah. Because um, – you know, I, I tease you about the Beastie Boys all the time. Of course. Um, and I call it your rites of passage. <laughs> but <laughs> As a white guy, I gotta love Beastie Boys. At but, least I can go with Insane Clown Posse. Well, you know, I'm not You're not going to get me to say anything bad about Insane. I'm scared of those dudes. Well, I'm scared of their fans. For they sure. might come for you. That's true. Yeah, I'm scared of their fans, for real. But, um, you know... So I have an appreciation for the Beastie Boys. I get the Beastie Boys. I like the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. For me, and it, it's, it was interesting to see it revealed in the doc in a different way. Because I didn't, you know, obviously when you see something in hindsight, you didn't, you don't, you, you know, you put things together that you didn't put together in time. Sure. You know, in, in that time. So I always felt like, you know, I lost kind of contact with Beastie Boys after License to Ill. You know, I, I, I knew about Paul's Boutique. Um, I loved, um, um, what's the one? Um, Check Your Head? I Came did like check. That? I did like check your head, but no. Um, what's what, what's the song? When they picked up when they picked up the instruments before Intergalactic with the with the great with the awesome video. Oh, sabotage! Sabotage! Yeah, you know that's all build communication. Yeah. See, so I knew that. You know, obviously, I knew Intergalactic, but it was just more of like a singles thing in the later years. Like, oh, okay, I like that. Oh, yeah, BC Boys is back. Okay, yeah, that's cool. I wasn't taking albums in. Mm-hmm anymore and then to watch the doc and see kind of like the fallout with Def Jam yeah and it was almost like leaving kind of that 
space, you know, because in that era, we're talking LL, we're talking, you know, Run DMC, Houdini, you know, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, kind of like the first hip hop superstars. Oh, yeah. They were in that group. And then, um, you know, coming out of that, Public Enemy, Eric B and Rakim, uh, Boogie Down Productions, so EPMD, so on and so forth, and we were talking like 88, 89, 90, and it was like Beastie Boys were no longer in that space. They were kind of like just the Beastie Boys onto their own, like they were their own entity. But, you know, I was I was young. So yeah, and once they cut ties with Def Jam, I think uh, a lot of that was coming from Russell Summons as sort of the the impresario of hip hop at the time. Yeah, and they were out on the West Coast by then, and right, right, and they started kind of they started kind of just delving into their own thing, which they came from a punk rock world Mm. in the beginning, and so you know they were always they always were unique in themselves. Um, So that. It was very interesting, but I learned that and I learned why, like, oh, okay, that's why they kind of just, I kind of just kind of, oh, Beastie Boys, like they're not around anymore. You know what I mean? Until I <laughs> see them pop up and I knew they were selling boatloads of records um, after kind of um, Paul's boutique, Paul's boutique kind of took a dive um, and found themselves and they, they got back to it. But um, I didn't realize, one, I didn't realize their sentiments towards Russell Simmons. I didn't realize mm. that they felt that way about Russell Simmons. I learned that watching Got the fat baselines like Russell Simmons steals money. <laughs> and <laughs> I um also that gets into us a, a very interesting dynamic kind of played in reverse, right? For how we usually have these conversations <laughs> in this podcast. So t- to see the black exec kind of use the white group that was really talented, but token them mm-hmm. made a boatload of money off of them and then kind of discarded them when they were no longer willing to play the game of being exploited was fascinating right we've heard this story a million times fascinating in the history of the music industry typically it's an old white man executive and uh young black stars who, who don't know enough about signing contracts maybe don't consult the right attorneys or consult an attorney at all they're just like yeah 500 bucks give me it i'll sign yeah um but in this case it was Russell Simmons as the executive. Yeah. And it was, you know, a group of white kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And just, you know, and obviously that's a one, you know, that's one perspective, yeah. you know. So there's that. But the particular kind of dynamic of them being like of, of Russell knowing this is going to work. Oh yeah, and him promising crafting you, know, you guys are gonna be platinum. Yeah, you guys are gonna yeah. be playing stadium. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they sort of just went along for the ride. For the ride until it kind of, you know, hit a wall. Mm-hmm. Which it would because that really wasn't them. Yeah. The frat guy stuff, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one, they were too young to even really know what they were. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they went along for the ride. And, I mean, it was a hell of a ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, it's interesting to me, you know, for everything they've said in that documentary and the Beastie Boys book and elsewhere in interviews and in lyrics, you know, about mm -hmm. Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin, you've never heard any member of the Beastie Boys express having any problem with any member of Run DMC. Yeah, that is true. Who were really their true mentors. I mean, Russell might have tipped them off to a style that was going to sell or a persona that was going to sell. But when it came to really becoming hip hop stars, really becoming yeah. MCs, yeah. the documentary really shows, you know, what the Beastie Boys have said over and over that they learned it all straight at the feet of Run DMC. Yeah. 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 Which was amazing. They were like, actually they you know took them in as little brothers. And yeah. well, I mean, we'll never see this in, a Run DMC doc, which there really needs to be one. Um, that's probably the thing hip hop is missing yeah. the most. Um, a Run DMC doc or movie, um, but you know, I'm sure Russ did his fair share of exploiting his brother as well. So, yes. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean. Uh, they were just as innocent. In, you know what I mean? It, at that stage of the game, Run DMC was probably just as innocent as the Beastie Boys. They just, you know, a little more seasoned and obviously sure. um, just you know, masters of the craft at that time. You know what I mean? So, it, um, you know, amazing. It was amazing, amazing to watch. Amazing to watch. And you know, I would have liked to have seen a little more about DJ Hurricane because he barely came up in the documentary. I... I other than him being there and me knowing that that was DJ Hurricane, I don't right? recall anything yeah. about him. You know, I mean, and that, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100%. It was just like, oh, that's Hurricane. And then even yeah. post the, he was still with them. And I'm like, what? Hurricane was from Hollis Crew. So like, yeah. what? But I guess that speaks to what you said in terms of them never really having a gripe with Run DMC because- yeah. Hurricane was was Hollis crew. He's he was one of them. Yeah, DJ Hurricane was uh, kind of a protege on the turntables of Jam Master J. Yeah, and he yeah. was a member of the Road Crew for Run DMC. He was like security, basically. Yeah, yeah. And he became the Beastie Boys touring DJ on the turntables when the Beastie Boys performed all the way from the License to Ill tours, all the way through. I saw him at Lollapalooza in '94. Wow. And Hurricane was still there. He was replaced yeah. by Mixmaster Mike Mixmaster, when we got yeah. to uh, Hello Nasty. That was okay. the first album with Mixmaster Mike. But that was okay. what, 2000? That was 1998, I guess. Beats me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I already told you. I'm gonna say. You don't know the year. <laughs> I already told you. I, not only do I not know the years, I don't mm -hmm. have a clue of BC Boys' discography. <laughs> and that if was a say, dynamic. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm saying if when you say the names of the albums, I'm like, oh yeah, I know Hello Nasty. Yeah, Hello I, Nasty. I, know, I know Ill Communication. Yeah, but I, you know, no, nah, I was completely unplugged. So the the white MCs and the black DJs sort of behind them on yeah. the turntables. That was a yeah. dynamic too we saw with Third Base, who was uh, 
You know, I think it's fair to say, you know, Rick Rubin, I'm not, not Rick Rubin, Russell Simmons signed them as sort of a (laughs) fuck you to the Beastie Boys, right? It it would appear so. Yeah. You guys are going to leave my group. I can find another couple white guys just fine. Yeah. And it worked a little bit, not quite like the Beastie Boys, but they were different. They were of a different. um, For sure. Yeah. Search was a different animal. And they came um, out trying to attack the Beastie Boys. And, uh, you know, years later, Search said he regretted that and yeah. really wished that he had done things the way the Beastie that Boys old, did. That good old, good old white on white crime. That's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, again, this is a story we've heard before in music. You know, you mm-hmm. take, um, particularly when we talk to uh, Jaina about women in hip hop, it's yeah. always a good marketing move to pit two women against each other. It's Lil Kim versus Foxy. Correct. Um, and we did see a little bit of that same marketing strategy with uh, Third Base and the Beastie Boys. And, and Vanilla Ice. And Vanilla Ice. Yeah, yeah. triangulate yeah. him right in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. But there's such a difference. You know what I mean? There's such a difference between Vanilla Ice and um, the Beastie Boys. You yeah. know, always has been, always will be. So it was odd that they, but, you know, well, it's not odd at all. We know exactly what. Sure. <laughs> we exactly know what battery was placed into yeah. their backs in order to do that. So yeah, yeah, it is that. But no, um, fascinating doc. I recommend it. Um, I might watch it again. As a matter of fact, um, well done. I mean, it had to have been awesome for you to be live in that to see like the kind of two man show thing that they did. Oh, really? Um, it was. It, it, it was. It was pretty. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It was, yeah. And the whole thing's a tribute to their fallen band member, you know, the the third member of the Beastie Boys, MCA, Adam Mm -hmm. Yock, passed away in 2011, I believe. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, and I I went to, they actually dedicated a park to him in Brooklyn, a park where he used to play when he was a kid, Adam Yock Park. And I went to the... the renaming cutting? ceremony. Okay. They had like cool. a little uh, event whenever they renamed it Adam Yacht Park. His oh, parents fresh. were there. Yeah, that's it was fresh. really cool. And I, you know, I learned also that he was kind of like the, you know, the sensei. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Musically was, and yeah. sort of aesthetically, like everything yeah. I mean, kind of flowed through him. Yeah. He, he had the, uh, the uh, alternate personality that directed the video. Yeah. His, his uncle, yep. his uncle. <laughs> from switzerland yeah, yeah nathaniel yeah. hornblower That's yeah right. yeah 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 and yuck was tight with gerald jennifer from bad brands like the beastie boys used to play yeah. shows with bad brands on the yeah old scene. that was really cool to see that was yeah. really cool to see really cool to see and bad brands if people don't know were uh were and are i think they still read i think they're active yeah, yeah 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 um they were Kind of at the pinnacle of the New York hardcore punk rock scene. Yeah. And uh, out of that scene were one of the few all-black punk bands. Yeah. 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 We always talk about the irony of the novelty of the black rock band. Mm. (laughs) And how that's like, oh, man, it's a black rock band. (laughs) Oh, well, they invented the genre. Sure. Yeah, I mean... um, we talked about Little Richard on the, the last episode we recorded. Sure. Um, sure. For punk rock, you know, Bad Brains were kind of positioned almost similarly to how Little Richard was for rock and roll. I mean, they were there from the beginning. They were center stage. Yes. Um, they influenced a lot of what was to come. Yes. Yes. So that would have been like the, the Ramones ever, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, CB, CBGB. CBGBs, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of history, man. Lower oh, East yeah. Side. A lot of history. Yeah. Definitely. Wild times in New York, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was not around. And not a lot of the documentary. I was alive. I just wasn't around. <laughs> you were traveling into Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not at all. Not then. A lot of the Beastie Boys movie, I really liked how they they talked about like the intersections of those two scenes, right? The punk rock scene, the post punk scene with Blondie yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, Velvet Underground, yeah. for example. And then they were also going to check out hip hop. You know, they would yeah. see Africa Bambata. Yeah. So they were that, really in the right place at the right time. That clip when Africa Bambata was playing like their little song, and oh, they, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the little community access show. And he's like, do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. That, that was, was amazing. Yeah, they yeah. sneaked in to ask Africa Bambata what he thought about their song. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even funky. identify themselves. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was cool. That was cool. Yeah, nice. but and, and, you know, but it, so that was good to see because a lot of, I mean, it's been um, addressed on you know different shows and documentaries, but a lot of people miss that connection between the downtown kind oh, yeah. of uh, punk rock scene and then mixing in that with not only um, the uptown hip hop scene but also the art scene when you're talking about Warhol and Basquiat and. Mm-hmm you know, kind of mel- that whole world measuring in and then um, melding in and then uh, Fab Five Freddy's pivotal yep. player in all of them. Oh, yeah. Going back to Wild Style, right? He plays mm-hmm. sort of a version of himself, the guy who floats between the, the downtown art scene and the uptown hip hop scene freely and yeah. sort of yeah. makes connections between sort of makes right? connections, brings Blondie to see Sheik. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff. Awesome, fascinating times, man. A lot of cocaine. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've heard people level a a criticism at the Beastie Boys movie and the book that preceded it. Mm. And I think we could extend it a little bit. The criticism I've heard is that they maybe take it a little too easy on themselves. By claiming mm. that all the misogyny, all the frat guy kind of stuff was just was an act, yeah. was just a marketing yeah. thing, and then and at one point the they were out of 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 Russell, Russell and, yeah. and Rick Rubin, right? Yeah, yeah. And they said, you know what? At one point they woke up and they had become the guys that they started out making fun of. Correct, correct. And so, in terms of uh, you know, they address the song "Girls." In the lyrics, you know, girls to do my laundry, girls to clean up my room. Yeah. Um, and obviously, they've made amends for some of those comments in later yeah. lyrics. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard them make any kind of a statement on the accusations against Russell Simmons. Mm. But there were some similar accusations actually against Adam Horovitz's father, who's a playwright, Israel Horovitz. Wow. And he came out and said, I believe these women... Um, I love my dad, but I believe these women. Mm, but I have not heard them make any statement about Russell. Simmons. About Russell, yeah. I mean, I guess they've made they've made they've made you know they've made the statement they needed to make on Russell. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, that's funny you said that because um, I was watching it with uh, my girl, and mm. um, she immediately. Uh, 
through the pandering line, line out there, kind of like, oh, they're pandering. Ah, okay. <laughs> and it felt it felt very scripted and obvious. You know, the um, mm. I guess the the amends being made for some of the misogyny. You know what I mean? Very, very, very sure. deliberate in there. Like we knew, you know. But uh, and so I see where the criticism of sort of like the. You know, we were naive. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of kicked the in. girl out of the band. Yeah, that that's when she she was like, oh, it, she's like, oh, that seems a little whatever, like a little, a little staged. And like, why, why they they get up the whole? Yeah, they kicked the girl out of the band. Um, but yeah, I did not going. I did not go into it expecting kind of the uh, Russell Simmons is the villain thing. I didn't really know. Yeah. You know, as much of that story as I guess uh, was revealed to me. But yeah, yeah, I could see the criticism of folks kind of saying that they, you know, they kind of deflected a little bit. <laughs> you know, one part they left out, and actually two parts that they left out as far as their dedication to those issues before this career retrospective movie comes out, mm-hmm. is I remember back at, 99 2000 or so i believe it was the reading festival the mm-hmm. bc boys were scheduled to play and the british like i don't even know the term <laughs> the, the prodigy you know that old band yeah their singer keith flint died uh i think last year around this time okay yeah um, electronic dance i guess is what youtube is gonna or uh wikipedia is gonna call it the prodigy but they yeah. had a song called smack my bitch up Smack my bitch up. I remember that. And that was <laughs> that was a hit. Um, that was their big hit song. And the I Beastie Boys that. visited them in their dressing room and asked them not to play that song. Okay. And the prodigy just laughed at them. You know, made, <laughs> made another joke about it on stage before they played their big hit song. And oh, and the gist of it was like, thing. don't you guys remember ten years ago? Like mm. all that shit you said on License to Ill. Um, and you know you don't play those songs anymore. Or when you play them, you change up the lyrics. But come on, yeah. How yeah. do you have the nerve to come and ask us? And I also remember in um, when I went to Lollapalooza and saw the Beastie Boys. I believe it was ninety two. Actually, I believe I said ninety four before, but I think it was ninety two. They had a little insert in the Lollapalooza program where they had the Beastie Boys introduce mosh pit etiquette. And the whole gist of it was like, guys, keep your hands to yourselves. Um, you know, just because a girl is dancing beside you doesn't mean it's like open season and she would love to have you feel all over So, you know, I think some of this dedication does go back further than just this film. But it does feel kind of convenient, right, to look back and say, well, we were playing these roles. We we're making fun of these kind of guys. And then we sort of became what we were making fun of. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder how that extends to the um, to them being white rappers, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the big question. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got yeah. this quote. I think I've I've given this same quote in an earlier episode. This is from Russell Simmons, sort of taking credit for everything that they give him the blame for in the documentary. But this is Russell Simmons talking about first meeting the Beastie Boys. He says they were wearing shiny red sweatsuits and do-rags on their head. Mm-hmm. They had talent, but they came across as the worst sort of blackface band. It was like they were making fun of black people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought they were racist, that they were putting down black culture. I mm-hmm. taught them how to fucking walk and how to fucking talk. 
I convinced the black community that they were real. Mm. So that was Russell Simmons on his role in transforming these three white guys who liked rap into the first huge platinum selling stadium playing white rappers. Yeah. Yeah. And like the Ghostface um superb thing we uh mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, the truth is probably somewhere in between. Yeah, right. <laughs> what Russell thinks happened and what the Beastie Boys thinks happened. You know? Yeah. I mean? Yeah. 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 But it does and also I found it fascinating that in the kind of quote unquote demonizing of um Russell Simmons it didn't seem mm. that Rick Rubin got his um, just due blame <laughs> for yeah. whatever they think Russell did to them. Because uh, from my observation, Rick Rubin kind of served them up on a platter. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, they put in his direction with some of it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, he brought them to Russell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I and I, I and then I, if I'm going to be, I think he brought him to Russell knowing exactly what would happen. I mean, I, I have no other way of looking at it other than Rick Rubin had every idea that these white boys weren't necessarily ready to be rap stars, but that Russell could make that happen. Yeah, so I, I think they did point the finger at Rick Rubin for some of the machismo that he got from his love of professional wrestling and his love yes. of heavy metal. Kind of hill stuff, yeah. 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 But I mean, yeah, I mean, if if it, it's an it's just an interesting, it's an interesting piece, man. Oh, it's so layered. Um, but yeah, kind of that thing stuck out to me. I couldn't wait to talk to you about like just the the irony of um kind of you know the white guy finding these white guys bringing them to the black guy <laughs> and the black guy exploiting them for all the stereotypes of sure. young white guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when they were you know exhausted um with playing the role of the stereotype had no longer had any use for them and just discarded them thinking that they would never be able to, you know, and then they found themselves and kind of. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I imagine if they'd put out a second album on Def Jam, that would have probably been the last album they put out as the Beastie Boys. It would have been sort of a licensed ill part two. And I mean, who knows? It might have done well commercially, but I can't imagine they would have had the it same would have been, career. Um, Derelicts of Dialect. Yeah. Which is which is an album I actually like quite a bit. I like both of their albums. Third Base, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was probably the first place I heard Zev Love X. Um, it would have been. Because that was Gas Face, right? Gas His verse on Gas Face was Correct. the first I that heard was, from. That was their introduction. No, yeah. You weren't alone. So Zev Love X, who went on to be, become MF Doom down the road. Yep. Yeah. Yep. A legend. Absolutely. Yeah. Rest in peace, Subrock. More rest in peace. More rest in peace. Absolutely, oh. yeah. Can't get around it. Yeah, Can't so get around it. I guess to me, like that that question again, you know, you've got with third base and the Beastie Boys, you've got YMCs in the foreground. 
And probably a lot of people, I imagine, who were pretty big Beastie Boys fans, maybe didn't even know Hurricane's name. Yeah. Um, if you said, hey, who's the Beastie Boys DJ? They'd be like, um, guy behind them. We knew Mixmaster Mike. We knew Mixmaster Mike. That's true. Um, they had to dedicate a whole song to him. I don't know if they put that in a contract or what it was. He's quite a DJ, though. So. He is quite a DJ from the Invisible Scratch Pickles. Yeah. Right? With DJ Kubert and all those guys. Ah, yes. Legendary. Yeah. Legendary. Legendary. Yeah. Kubert was one of the first. Um, no, we used to. Um, have those tapes like the you know world supremacy dmc oh, yeah. like world supremacy dj stuff yeah 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 kubert kubert's yeah. amazing man um so mixmaster mike was from that same crew yeah 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 and he really brought i wish they had talked about him more in the documentary too i know I, they wanted I to make it the story yeah. of three friends who yeah. grew up together and i can understand yeah. that but yeah. i mean what mixmaster mike brought to the beastie boys stage show was amazing amazing yeah he would throw yeah. in beats like four different beats in the course of a song sometimes sometimes more than that yeah um and he wouldn't let them know there would be no heads up of when the beat was going to change what the beat was going to be um so if you watch live performances of the beastie boys you can find them online from the time Mixmaster and mike joined through the time they stopped playing in 2009 or so um you know, you'll see the same song performed 40 different ways with yeah. all kinds of different beat change-ups and beats thrown in. And it's actually yeah. really cool. Yeah, and no, I've seen a few. Very dope. And Very he, he dope. performs with Cypress Hill now. He, he goes on the road with them now. Ah, beautiful. Yeah, so he and Eric Bobo, who used to both tour with Beastie Boys, now tour with Cypress Hill. Oh, get out. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. May I ask you a question? Sure. Um, this just came to me because... In you know, just in retrospect and in look in viewing this dot and mm -hmm. me telling you like I gained um well not a more of an appreciation for the BC Boys because I, I think I already had a healthy appreciation for them. I learned more information about them. I just kind of respected them. Yeah. You know, because I respected them, but I learned more about them. Um I'm pretty certain if they're not already rock and roll hall of famers, they will be. They were inducted, yeah. It was uh, LL Cool J and Chuck D. Before before LL. Yeah, well, it was um, – I don't think LL was inducted yet, was he, or just recently? He has, he has not been inducted. Okay. So he and Chuck um, D were the so honorary like guys who got up and introduced the Beastie Boys. Uh, Public, Enemy, Public Enemy is in. Yeah. Run DMC is in. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five is in. They were the first. Yeah. Grandmaster Tupac. Flash and Furious Five were the first hip hop group in the Rock Hall. Correct. Tupac is in. Yeah. Um, NWA Biggie, think, right? is in. And Biggie just got inducted. I don't know if there'll be a ceremony because of yeah. the lockdown, but Biggie was just inducted. No LL, though. Okay. Um, I find that problematic. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the BC you know. Boys were inducted only a couple weeks i think before mca passed away wow so wow. the other two guys attended and they read like this really heartfelt letter from mca Beautiful. and then you know just a couple weeks later i saw the announcement that he died and so that is because i had a feeling that that was the case yeah. i couldn't remember remember but i was pretty certain that they were and i knew that even if they weren't yet they would be um it's only a matter of time but from a legacy standpoint, because it's 
with the white rapper, we go through this with Eminem all the time, right? Yeah. They're, they receive their accolades from the larger culture, from mainstream society. They always get their props. Mm-hmm. But sometimes mm-hmm. in hip hop, you know, they may not receive or, or get the uh, accolades or the, or the shine that you would expect from someone with this mm-hmm. large scale of, you know, uh, an impact. So they're one of the first handful of hip hop acts in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but no one even like recalls them really in hip hop. Yeah. They're seldom brought up. What is the legacy of the Beastie Boys, in your opinion, in hip hop? Yeah, <laughs> so it hurts because I am such a Beastie Boys fan. I think when they really went left with Check Your Head, when they mm-hmm. went back to playing their own instruments, um, dressing like skateboarders, which a couple of them were, um, you know, aligning themselves much more with the emerging alternative rock scene in terms of just style and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. I think they lost a lot of the hip hop crowd. And that would have been happening. Check Your Head came out in 92. So you yeah. know what was going on in hip hop in 92. It was the sea change of all this amazing new stuff, sort of the return to New York with uh, Black Moon. Yeah. Um, Jay Rue the Damager. Jay Rue the yeah. Damager. Yeah, yeah. Gangstar was in full swing. Um, yeah. That and these three guys. AG, these guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And these three guys from New York, the Beastie Boys, were out in California being weird. Yeah. You know, yeah. picking up guitars and bass and drums and trying to kind of reinvent the wheel of what they've been doing with their music. And and being more true to who they were. That the, and, yeah. You know what I mean? Actually being who they were. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, they've got their close associates like Q-Tip and Bismarck E. I mean, those guys will always call them legends. Yeah. But yeah. I think in the broader history of hip hop, that wasn't a purest hip hop album to say the least. Right. Right. Um, and and so then we get back to our other conversation that we have a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what you just um, touched on. And what you said a a couple minutes ago, the, um, what do we want to call that? I don't want to say privilege because that's a trigger word, Mm. but. Advantage maybe at at least. Leverage. Leverage. Okay. To get into a space where, oh, we're just going to play our own instruments and we're going to experiment and, you know, Mm. and that's natural. Yeah. To us. And then and that's that, what they did from the beginning. And because you don't need hip hop to validate you, mm-hmm. you can just be, and then you end up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not for being one of the greatest hip hop groups, because I don't know that they're in anyone's top 10 hip, the greatest hip hop groups. Maybe just me. Maybe just you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I wouldn't put them in there for the exact reason you said. It's not straight hip hop, right? It's not straight hip hop after this second album. (laughs) So, but I still consider them a hip hop group. Yeah. I mean, they definitely returned to it. I just, and and see, even 
what I was just going to say gets weird because I was going to say they're like more than a hip hop group. And that sucks because so is Outkast. Yep. But Outkast sure. is not more than a hip hop group. They're just a hip hop group. Yeah. yeah. I do think there's the advantage, if we don't want to use the word privilege and leverage, like you said, of being a white musician in the media. You know, you, you immediately have this novelty factor in a lot of ways, even in 2020, mm-hmm. where music journalists are like, oh, okay, the next white rapper. And to write that article, they're skipping past like the the next 100 black rappers. Right, right, right. And and that's true. But not even speaking to that, because the Beastie Boys were good. You know, they weren't just like white, right? They were good. But it's the, sure. ac- it's the access, I guess, I'm talking about. Like mm. the, 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 the ability to be able to tap into this large audience. Mm. You know what I mean? And not have to worry about keeping it true. Yeah. Well, let me even look at Lil Nas X and the flack he got. Even before he came out, um, the flack he got just for for daring to appear on the country music charts. Yeah. yeah. As a hip-hop artist. Yeah. Yeah. And then once people, once he revealed his, his sexuality, then, oh my God, well, we can't have this. He's black and gay. Oh, we well. can't have this. Well, there's that, but, but but they had it. They had it for a yeah, long time. Sure. <laughs> they had it for a long time. But I look at a situation like that, and God bless the kid. I hope he, um, you know, fares well in, in sure. life and in his music career. But I, I don't see where where does he go. Yeah. Where does he go? You know what I mean? Because he's always just going to be a rapper. We just saw. They just told him that you're you're a rapper. Oh yeah. <laughs> you don't care yeah. what you do. You're a rapper, right? So, but he's not a rapper. And maybe that's the point where, you know, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons were saying that to the Beastie Boys, like, get your ass back in the studio and let's make the second license to ill. And they cut out. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's where you get that artistic freedom when you walk away from. But you've got to, you, but you've got to be an artist in order to do that. And that remains yeah. to be seen. We'll find out. That's we'll a good find point. Out. But and that, you know what I mean? And so there's there's a lot of factors in there. There's, you know, there's the talent, the ability, you know, the inspiration, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And then there's just the the leverage, the ability to do that, the ability to to say, hey, um, we're gonna go get another record deal based off of um they were gonna get a record deal anywhere just based off of license to L. Anywhere sure. they went, they were gonna be handed money, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, but then that one doesn't do too good. And yeah. then they're back to the drawing board. But they, Although it was a hell of an album. It was a hell of an album. It's my favorite album of theirs. Well, a, a lot of people's favorite album. Yeah. yeah. But they kept, you know, they were true to what they were. They really were artists. And they kept tinkering and they kept experimenting and they found it. And then it, you know what I mean? They didn't have the, uh, they needed to really shed that. It took, two albums to shed the license to ill persona and what was so you know by 92 no one was thinking about license to ill anymore and they just got to reappear as the beastie boys and they didn't even play license to ill songs that during that era yeah they didn't go back to it of course and so how many of you know hip-hop traditional artists are allowed that luxury that's a luxury Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, what what was your reaction when you started to see like Andre three thousand, Wyclef Jean, and then Lil Wayne, even Scarface? Like when you started to see rappers pick up guitars. I think it's awesome. Yeah, black people have played guitar. Well, we you know we we, we talked about the banjo. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Elizabeth it's, Cotton on her pioneering guitar style for country music and bluegrass. Yeah, it's not as weird as America makes it seem. You took all the music programs out of the schools, you know, during the Reagan era, and we were, all we had was a turntable, so we made it an instrument. Yeah. And created what we created, but we played instruments. The Commodores played instruments. You know, Mm -hmm. Earth, Wind, and Fire was a band. (laughs) The Isley Brothers were a band. You know, the Barclays Bad Brains, as we just mentioned. Bad Brains and Living Color. And you know what I mean? Like, Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav. He plays like 10 or 12 instruments. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Prince, you know. These guys are musicians. Count Bass D. Yeah. And, but in this, in the, in the mid to late 70s in New York City, there were no instruments. So we made electronics instruments. And you know, with the mention of electronics, we could give another RIP to Florian Schneider from Kraftwerk. Ah, yeah, yeah. I believe yeah. I got the that, name right. That, I think you're right. And that was what? Um, that would have been yesterday. Yeah, the day before. There you go, yeah. 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 Florian Schneider from Kraftwerk. Yeah. Who Big definitely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was the basis. Trans Europe Express from Kraftwerk was the basis of Planet Rock. Planet Rock, yep. There was a good moment um, after they debuted that Beastie Boys documentary. There was an AMA Reddit like live Q&A with uh, Mike D and Ad-Rock and Spike Jones. They called up Biz Marquis at one point and got him on the uh, live Q&A. And Ad-Rock asked him to beatbox this Kraftwerk song, Numbers. And it was amazing. Mm, nice. It was really good. You can find nice. it on YouTube. You can look I'm it up. I'm going to look for it for sure. going to look yeah. for it. Biz um, beatboxed a Kraftwerk song and, you know, talked about his love for Kraftwerk for a few minutes. And then, you know, a couple of days later, not long after it at all, I saw the announcement that uh, Florian Schneider had passed away. Man. Man, the timing of things. Yeah. <laughs> timing of things. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, man. So, you know, it just, we keep, we keep coming back to the same themes we keep seeing kind of this cycle of we see it from different angles and it's it's fascinating exploitation and ownership and yeah you know uh luxury and privilege and who gets to do what and who's celebrated for what and you know because that even circles back to kind of like those um and just kind of i guess what because BC Boys have never won a best rap album Grammy, have they? Nah, I don't think so. And I don't think they give a damn. No, not nor at sh- this point. For nor sure. should, nor should they. No. <laughs> nor should they. But you know, um, you know, just what is important, what matters, what type of validation, you know, all of it, man. It's all, it's all very, uh, very interesting. Yeah, a lot of that same question we come back to of, you know, who who gets to decide what gets covered and how it gets covered and what's news and what earns awards, right? Yeah. Yeah. I um 
it reminds me of something um I was I referenced uh Nikki Giovanni um mm-hmm. conversation uh in the last recording and she said something very interesting she was talking to a young lady about just you know um image and you know beauty standards and that kind of deal and she said the problem with you young people is you have the wrong audience mm. She said, you're asking people, in her words, who hate you, <laughs> to, tell yeah. you you're, to tell you you're beautiful. Ooh. And so when we talk about, you know, that kind of thing, who gets to um, critique or judge or award or, or, or acknowledge or... Mm any of these things, the question has to become, why would you crave validation from people who don't know anything about you, don't really care to know anything about you, only um, would be interested in you that once a year, you know, specifically when we talk about like Grammys and stuff like that, like, you know, it's a ratings thing. So they're gonna get the hottest acts they want to put the hottest acts on for their ratings. Uh, any other day of the year, they really could care less what hip hop music is coming out. So, you know, celebrate yourself. I like to use that word validation. I mm-hmm. think that nails it. Mm-hmm. I mean, pay attention to that. Everybody listen to the podcast as universities claim they've got to really tighten their purse strings in the wake of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. We've already seen it four days ago, Ohio University. They cut gender studies and African-American studies faculty. Here we go. So, <laughs> I mean, we, we have seen this wave before. Um, when it comes to budget cuts, these kind of programs tend to be first on the chopping block. I, I, just, I just referenced the 80s and the music mm-hmm. programs in New York City. There you go, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, universities were already cutting. So uh, this just adds fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's amazing what becomes an easy target as soon as um, things get a little rough, boy. It's like they just just they couldn't wait. And really, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the whole system put those kind of programs on shaky ground at most universities from the start because they tend to be staffed with a higher percentage of part-timers or non-tenured faculty to begin with. So they're really easy target to say, well, we had to protect these tenured professors and these other departments. So of, of course, course we had to go. It has of nothing course. to do with the fact that they were teaching gender studies or African-American studies. Of course. They of just course. didn't happen to have tenure because we, we never hired any tenured professors for those departments. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that just becomes a, you know, a circumstance. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It's not that we did that on purpose so that they'd yeah. always be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. Yeah, and you, you remember a lot of these programs. I don't know the history of Ohio University in particular, but a lot of these programs were started because of pressure from student groups. Right. Um, so you see like how far that gets you. The university 20 years ago, 30 years ago says, okay, okay, we'll start this African-American studies program and uh, students will be happy. We played along, but... What they won't know behind the scenes is, is there's really no funding. There's really no tenure track faculty. Um, 
if shit gets weird with the budget, it's gone, you know, and, and those students who got it started, they graduated a few years ago. They won't even be here to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit scary. I mean, we see it, we start talking about music on most of these episodes we record, but very quickly it takes you to other realms. Very quickly because it's all intertwined. Absolutely. It's all, you know, the fabric of, um, this uh, society, this country, um, the way it's run, the way it's been run, um, its origins, um, it all comes back in anything we talk about. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We can start with a song and we can, it, it'll weave its way all the way back to, you know, everything about this country and everything about the society we live in, man. It's, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So do you have anything to read today or, um, or rhyme today? Here's what I, well, you know, I had to do it because, um, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> celebrating Tony Starks. Oh, so um, let me see. I apologize in advance for any um, misogynistic um, lyrics. They're not mine. There are the words of Tony Starks. Okay. Let me see. This is one of my favorite verses. I can't do it any justice. I'll do my best. Don't shoot me. <laughs> the only man I hold weight for is the sky blue belly kid in 83 rock Taylor's. My memorex perform tape decks, my own phone sex. Watch out for Haiti bitches. I heard they throw hex. Yo, who hold platoon is filled with raccoons? Corner sitting wine niggas sipping out boom. This ain't no white cartoon, cause I be ducking crazy spades. The kids hold white shit like blacks rock ashy legs. Why is the sky blue? Why is water wet? Why did Judas rat to Romans while Jesus slept? Stand up. Yeah, I look like two dogs stuck. Iron Man be sipping cup rum out of Stanley Cups. Unflammable. Noriega aiming nozzles. Stay windy in Chicago. Spine tingle. Mind boggles. Kangles in rainbow colors. Promoters try to hold dough. Give me mine before Poe. Wrap you up in so-and-so. I ran the dark ages. Constantine the Great. Henry the Eighth. Built with Genghis Kong. The red suede. Wally Don. I judge wisely. Ooh. <laughs> so on and so on. Fourth there chain, you go. Ghost Face, one of my favorite Ghost Face verses. That's Happy a great verse. It's off the Jizza album. Yes, it is. Classic. This ain't no white cartoon. <laughs> I love it. And <laughs> <laughs> rhyming that with Apple Boone? <laughs> Apple Boone? Come Ooh. on. <laughs> Come on. And you said the verse the way I hear it, too. My memorex <laughs> performed tape decks and my own phone sex, right? Yeah, yeah. I've heard people transcribe that as Fostex. I don't know. I thought it was phone sex. Phone sex is better, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm rolling with phone sex. Genius has it as phone sex, too. I see a lot of people transcribe it as Fostex, which would be a piece of equipment, right? Oh. F-O-S- T-E-X? I think you're right. That that could make sense. Could be phone sex, but yeah. I think phone sex is better. Yeah, let's roll with the phone sex, man. <laughs> it comes right in and says, watch out for Haiti, bitches. I heard they right. throw X. So, um, <sighs> shout to all the uh, Haitian um, people on, uh, listening to the podcast. We love you. <laughs> I have no evidence that you throw X. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my experience is just filtered through Ghostface lyrics. Yeah, um, with, with Haiti and Voodoo. I I know some beautiful, lovely 
Haitian women. And um, I would never levy <laughs> such an indictment on them. That's ghosts. I love it, man. That's ghosts. Right. The kid hold white shit like Black's Rock Ashy Legs. one of the best lines ever. <laughs> I remember I heard the term ashy skin or ashy legs for the first time. I was probably a freshman in college. Wow. You know, real, for, go ahead, for go a ahead. second, I was like, what is that? But I thought better of asking that question. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Rappaport got himself in some trouble recently. Um, really? Well, for, again, right? For calling um, a black woman ashy. Mm, yeah, I and think that's that's an in-group comment. Yeah, they think, let right? them ha- They low, you know, Michael Rappaport mm. sometimes has challenges with the in, in-group, out-group thing. True. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. And it gets us back to our conversation. Have you, have you paid enough dues to call a black woman ashy? He, he obviously feels he has. Yeah. He, yeah I, I know. He, he tends to think he's paid some dues. He always reminds me of just like a real life version of his character from Spike Lee's Bamboozled. Yeah. Just like he's that guy. Yeah. No, he literally is that guy. <laughs> he really is. But really I mean, is. It's, it's such a vivid way to describe dry skin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And even though, like, when I first heard the phrase for the first time, I had to pause for a second and think, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I've never heard somebody say that. Like within two seconds, like it clicked and was like, "Wow, that's an amazing way that's, to put that." It's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty visual. Man. It's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. That made my day. <laughs> Mike Black's that made my day. Oh man, awesome! Oh, awesome. what a great verse. I'm glad you brought that one up. Yeah, man. Yeah, I had to. I had to. I, had to. I, I kept waiting for Reza to play fourth chamber. I kind of knew he wasn't going to. How, how could you not? It's, it's got that Prince yeah. guitar. Yeah, yeah, so good. How could you not? So I, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I mean, that battle could have went on for fifty rounds though. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. He didn't play Shadow Boxing off that same Jizz album. Yeah. Great Method Man verse. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Very so true. I'll read just a little snippet. This is from Adam Yock, MCA of the Beastie Boys, talking about the Beastie Boys song Slow and Low that he kind of took from Run DMC. Cool. Um, So here's a little piece of his story. I remember being in the studio while Run DMC were recording vocals for one of their songs and being dumbfounded by how incredible they were. Anyway, when they finished the record and sequenced it, they decided to leave off one of our favorite songs. It was called Slow and Low. Later, as we were working on License to Ill, we asked them if we could do a cover of it. We made new music, but kept most of their lyrics. In fact, the only lines we changed were DC's real well because he has four eyes to White Castle fries only come in one side. (laughs) (laughs) That was Adam Yock speaking in 1999 about uh, lifting a a Run DMC song and making it a Beastie Boys song. Oh, man. And I do love how the documentary shows that they just looked at Run DMC like they're big brothers. I mean, they yeah. they taught them how to be on the road, how to yeah. play shows, um, you know, what it meant to be part of hip hop. And like, yeah. what better mentors could you possibly have? What better, what better mentors could you possibly have? And there's a whole book that just came out of photos from that uh, Run DMC BC Boys tour. Called Together Forever. It was the name of the tour. Yeah. And yeah, it's a full length photo book. You know, the the photographer went through and like 
chronicled everything, and now it's all in one book. So I need to pick that up. Oh, that's amazing. Would that be the Raising Hell tour? They called it Together Forever, this one, I believe. So it was okay. after Raising Hell. Okay. If I'm right. I think it was called the Together Forever tour. Okay. Yeah, this would have been 1987. 37 wow. dates, Run DMC and Beastie Boys. A year after Raising Hell tour, which okay. was also Run DMC and Beastie Boys. Yeah, yeah, so they why. toured together yeah. for like two yeah. years straight. Yeah, well, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. So LL would have been on that tour too, right? I think so. I think so, yeah. yeah. And then the Beastie Boys later toured, or maybe actually earlier toured with Public Enemy as their opening act. Well, Chuck D talks about that, um, you know, and just how that cycle worked. Like they first went out. You know, and then they took EPMD and those guys out and just mm-hmm. that fraternity of kind of like that first wave of hip hop tours, man. It, it, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Redman, of course, went to Eric Sermon of EPMD, kind of the same way that LL was sending his demos to Rick and Russell and yeah. Beastie Boys found him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you amazing. need those mentors. You need those sponsors. Yeah, and you, and, and you learned how to, like they said, they all learned how to... Um, become who they became in yeah. those, you know, they, they watched everybody's um, sets. They, you know, it, it was amazing, amazing time. You know, kind of, kind of before the money got really stupid and people <laughs> started just, you know, kind of being in their own self-contained thing and there's seven buses for each member of New Edition <laughs> and their entourages, you know, things just got started getting real stupid. <laughs> You're picking up people along the way. All of a sudden you've got a new family in your bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, 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 man. Well, that was great, man. That was an awesome episode. That's a good episode. You know, I've got a graphic that I'll send Anthony to see if we can add it to the website when this one goes live. I wrote Adam Yauk of the Beastie Boys, MCA. I wrote him a fan letter when I was like 18 years old. Yeah, I love it. Because <laughs> I was such a fan of the Beastie Boys. Did and you, I had did you written, call him MCA or did you call him Adam? I think I said I think I said Adam. I think so. Ah, <laughs> uh, first but name I, basis. First name basis. <laughs> Dear Mr. Adam. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't think I said Mr. Yeah. But I, I had just written like my first book looking thing, my first little piece of writing that I'd put together on my own, and I sent him a copy of it. And he was cool enough to write me back and draw a little cartoon of himself holding my book. Oh, that's so dope. So, so cool. dope. So, yeah, I so still have dope. it. Got it scanned in. I'll see if we can get it on the website. That's, so people an, that's an amazing it. moment. That's an amazing moment. I, before we get out of here. Yeah. Because I love, as, as much as I tease you, I love your um, fandom of Beastie Boys. And we have... I guess if anyone's really paying attention to this podcast, they'll see a theme of your kind of, uh, how do we want to say, cynical, critical, I don't know, kind Hopefully of. Hopefully it's not cynical. Stance on Eminem. <laughs> I'm talking about Eminem. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. Juxtapose with your like love for Beastie Boys. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious is that is it a time period thing? Like, what? Why Beastie Boys and why not so much Eminem? Like, what? What's That's going a good on? question. You know, I'm sure some of it is time period because I would have been 
I would have already been teaching college, I'm sure, by the time I really first heard Eminem. Because I wasn't, right. I didn't he's, catch he's, he's you know, nine, but, Yeah, he's 99, 2000. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Slim Shady, my name is, that was the first stuff I heard. And mm-hmm. I remember I was teaching freshmen in college. They loved it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I heard Stan and thought, yeah, this, this is actually kind of cool. I like this yeah, song. Stan's one of um, the greatest songs ever. I like Stan a lot. I do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's top Stan for me. And it probably is a lot of the age I was when I first heard it. Yeah. Um, I remember you even described at one point, you were like, why is this guy mad at his mom? <laughs> <laughs> I felt yeah. a little hint of that thinking like, what's he so upset about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's, that dynamic is very strange to um, the black community, just the, you know, I hate my mom. That's not really our thing. Yeah, you got it. it doesn't, <laughs> so doesn't really translate, mom. right? We have dear mom. You know what I'm saying? Not, yeah. <laughs> not I hate my mom. <laughs> there you go. We have, we, you know, the, the typical, um, you know, uh, story of the uh, musician or ball player is, I knew I made it when I bought my mom a house. You know, yeah, that's kind for of sure. kind of why we're all doing this thing. So it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah. The I hate my mom thing was always weird to me, but you know, it was his. It's his truth. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, I'm sure by the time Eminem really blows up, there's there's a pretty good sense in the culture that, uh, wow, you know, this is this is kind of going back to the Vanilla Ice idea that we have rap's foremost superstar as a white guy although people certainly agreed that eminem was a far superior lyricist a far superior mc i don't know i don't know i don't know that i didn't i never got i never got vanilla ice vibes from eminem you know i just knew i just knew i just looked at it as you know white america has their Mm. first legit solo rap superstar so of course they're going to champion it Mm -hmm. like he's legit you know what i mean so i just thought it was just it was inevitable like he's gonna sell a boatload of records because hip-hop was selling a boatload of records by that time and if you're gonna give me a legit white guy that i can go he's the best and black people can't even necessarily go no he's not (laughs) <laughs> it's a win-win it's the you greatest thing it's the, it's elvis it's elvis yeah and you know little richard had a lot of very complimentary things to say about elvis he defended mm-hmm. elvis in several interviews yeah yeah even said that elvis paved the way for little richard to become little richard um, uh, well i mean there, there's probably something to be said about that from little richard's perspective sure it's hard to wrap your mind about around that. I think uh, looking of course, back, of course, of course, of course. It, but I, I, you know, I guess in that way it would be how maybe a rock Marcy would feel about mm-hmm. Griselda. Like he yeah. kind of birthed them, but they kind of gave him a lane. They put they put so much heat on what they do that it allowed for people to go, who else does this? Mm-hmm. And then there's like, well, this guy's a legend. He's been doing this for 15 years now. So, you know, yeah. it, 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 it kind of, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to give back, you know what I mean? And um, 
And I think that was the Elvis conundrum, right? Elvis wasn't so. the most willing to always give back, <laughs> whereas Eminem at least has in his own way. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think, um, hmm, I don't know. Where would you throw the Beastie Boys into that equation? I think, um, I mean, just what you said. You just read them paying homage to uh, okay. Run DMC. So I think I think um, that's I think that's part of why I've never kind of levied some of that criticism on the Beastie Boys that I have other, you know, um, white acts because I always I don't they left, but I never felt they left. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like they did the uh, we don't need hip hop anymore. Like you know what I mean? It was very much they were very much doing the same rap routines that they started doing. Yeah, and even when they really shifted into the alternative rock scene, you know, with Check Your Head and playing their instruments, they took the Roots out on tour yeah. with them. They took Liv Kweli out on tour with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, they took Tribe Called Quest out on tour Yeah, with them. and that's all you can ask for, man. That's yeah. all you can ask for. Kind of like what Macklemore did with uh, his big tour. He had Kweli opening up. You think he had Big Crit on some dates. Like, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's all you can ask for, man. That's all you can ask for. But... Let's get out of here, man. Let's do it. I've got some incense to burn and some <laughs> Erica Badu and Jill Scott. Well, that's coming up. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, man, this has been great. I'm, I'm glad we're back on the saddle, man. Um, I hope everyone is doing awesome. And um, can't wait to see you guys again, man. Shoot. Yeah. I just drove past our little spot by the train tracks last night. I was going for a drive. Just oh, the Rope and Dope Studios. Oh, <laughs> man. Cool. I think Coco passed it and said, yeah, here's where we record the podcast when we were able to. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Good times, man. Can't wait to get back. Yeah. Well, another one in All the right, can, man. man. Guess yeah, the house. sounds good to Guess me. in the house. That's it. Yes, um, I am Trom Diggs, aka David Shanks. I'm more David Shanks these days than Trom Diggs. Ah, Trom Diggs is still in it. He he lives. I just heard him on that verse on the last episode. You know you did. He lives. <laughs> and I'm Mickey Hess uh, as before. <laughs> so. All right, Joe. Peace out. All right, talk to you soon.